Hi, I'm Dolly Duran, and you're listening to Wake Up and Be Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new here, this is what you can expect. Once a week, I'll be interviewing a different person, someone whose journey I find inspirational, and hopefully you will too. Most of the people I consider mentors and friends, but some guests will be new to me as well thought leaders, and motivational influencers whom I look up to. I'll post new episodes each Monday. I think you're going to like what you're about to hear. However, I'm always open for feedback. I hope you learned something new from every guest I have on the podcast, as I know I will. My guest today is Pettis Bonaparte. Pettis is a professor who teaches communication and literature courses as well as hip hop culture. Like a true educator, she is passionate about teaching outside of the classroom as well by instilling essential and vital life skills in others in an effort to help others think more effectively and productively and inspire them to utilize these skills in their everyday lives. Pettis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dahlia. Thank you for the invite. So, Pettis, there's so much information to cover, as I know you have so much life experience. But first, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what's it like teaching hip-hop culture? I mean, you must be considered like the coolest professor out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's fabulous, just as it sounds. Unfortunately, the course where I teach, it's only offered once a year, every fall. And my students ask me in advance, okay, are you the one teaching it? I want to sign up. And I already, I actually had that happen to me today. And I said, yes, sign up. Um, It's a fabulous course. And the idea of hip hop being a culture, a lot of people don't think about it that way. They think about it as just being the music, but there's so many elements to hip hop culture. And I love the fact that I'm able to teach it because I was born during that era, you know, when it first arrived on the scene, I'm a New Yorker. You know, and hip-hop came on the scene and it changed my life. It was everything. It was everything that we did, we spoke, we wore, we danced. And for these students now, the generation that I'm teaching, to be able to appreciate it and see what it is now because of where it came from means everything. Is that what you teach, sort of like the history? Absolutely. We start from the roots and we progress. And they're always astounded. They always say to me, I had no idea this is what it was, and this is why it is what it is now. And, you know, just not that I have anything against modern, you know, music or the hip hop that they listen to, but they appreciate it more when they realize the foundation of it and what it really meant. Sure. The people that were saved because of the music, that they had that outlet, that freedom to express themselves. So it's a very rewarding course to teach. I love teaching all my courses, but that course has really made a difference for me. Sure, and I'm sure it fills up <laughs> since you teach it oh, once a year. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. So, why did you choose education as a career choice? I'll be honest with you. When I first started my studies, I really wasn't even thinking about education. But I happen to be the product of two people who are professors, educators, and um, my parents. I think always instilled education as being key you know, to life, to being able to excel, you know, to contribute. And 
even though I didn't think I was going to go that route, when I did, I said to myself, of course I did. That's what I learned. You know, that's what wasn't me. Um, and the gratification that I got the first time I taught a class, you know, I was just teaching just to make some money, to be honest with you. Um, I was in graduate school and I said, okay, this is a little bit of income I can pull in. And just the, the experience of being with my students and just seeing their faces and seeing their enthusiasm and knowing that I was actually good at it. Sure. Not everybody is. I, and not to knock anyone, but not everybody is meant to teach, right? And I just said to myself, oh my goodness, I think this might be my path. And I went with it. And 15 years later, I'm still doing what I'm doing. Amazing. Yeah. And so um, when you talk about that gratification, um, is that in being able to influence or, you know, instill something in your students? Can we talk about that? Of course, absolutely. It's not textbook knowledge. I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, being a professor is all about teaching, you know, by the book. It's really not about that. It's, to me, it's about making knowledge relevant, allowing students to see the connection between what has been taught forever to what they experience and what they've endured. The minute you can show the relevancy, then they're like, okay, now I understand why I'm here. And now I understand why I'm taking this class and why it's worth it. If you don't show the relevance, forget it. It, It's just, it's a failed attempt at trying to educate, honestly. And I do that every single one of my classes. Wow. And can you give us like maybe an example of what that might mean for someone who's not in education? How do you make knowledge relevant or something that you're teaching? Okay, so like, for example, today I had a morning class and we were examining and introducing ourselves to poetry. And a lot of my students are reluctant to explore poetry because they think, why? What am I? <laughs> what is that? It makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do with a poem? I don't understand it. <laughs> and why do I have to learn these terms? And when am I ever going to use this again? So I brought in music and I asked them, do you find music? to be a form of poetry? And if so, why? And all of a sudden their minds changed and they were thinking about their favorite song or the song they heard in the car on the drive to work, to to the class. And they said, oh my goodness, you're right. And I gave them all these examples of popular songs that have poetic elements. And they were like, oh my God, yes, that's a metaphor. That's a simile. Oh yes, that's- (laughs) That's awesome. And And they forget it, they just went off. So just them, you know, like making it relatable. It's just, sure, sure. it's an easy thing to do as long as you're aware of the students you're teaching. Right. And I always evaluate my students, think about who's in my classroom. I think about who I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. And I focus on them always. Every term I change up what I'm teaching as far as the material based on who I'm teaching. And I think that makes a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, now, in your personal life, you've endured some challenges. Do you care to share some yeah. of that? Sure. My biggest challenge, I think, in life has been um, my health. I've had a lot of health ailments. Uh, but those health ailments, honestly, have been what has brought me to recognizing that there's something greater than me, mm. a higher power. I'm not religious. I was born and raised in Catholicism, uh, but I don't practice. But I would never 
say that I do not believe that there's something higher than who I am. And I'll give you a few instances. Um, one of my major health ailments, I was in college as an undergrad and I was going to the doctor because I had a lot of lower back pain and I didn't, I didn't have a reason why I wasn't doing anything extraneous. And I had some tests taken and I go for the, the follow-up appointment and the doctor tells me, you have a spinal tumor. But ironically, the spinal tumor had nothing to do with my lower back pain. It was just found because I had went to get these tests. It was in my upper back. And he said, you know, if you had waited, you wouldn't walk again. It was pressing on a nerve in my spine. And he's, you know, thank goodness that you're here. And a few days later, I had, you know, major surgery to remove it. I said to myself, what's, you know, I didn't see it as luck. I saw it more as just almost like an intervention, like something else was saying, you have to go. I had put off going to the doctor for the longest time. Um, I just said, oh, it's lower back pain. I'll just deal with it. And for whatever reason, at that moment, I went. And had I not gone, I would have been you know, debilitated. Another similar instance is maybe about 10 years later, I had been diagnosed with a brain tumor um, that I was managing and dealing with it dealing with it for numerous years and i was feeling better i didn't have the chronic migraines i didn't have the hormonal issues and i felt confident that i had kind of gotten over it i stopped going to my regular appointments and for whatever reason something just interjected in my mind and said you know what it's been a while maybe you should go and i made an appointment i had the tests and went to the hospital and they said okay we'll get you you know, the results, uh, we'll send them to your doctor. My friends were visiting from out of town. Uh, I took them on a boat trip in Miami. Everybody wants to see the sights, so I took them out on the water, and I got a phone call. And it was the hospital. And they said, you have to come back right away. I said, well, I can't. I'm in the middle of the, <laughs> the ocean. Cape Bay. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you have to come back, like, right now. And he wouldn't tell me. It took a while for him to finally tell me, because I think... He thought I wasn't going to come. And he finally said, listen, your doctor needs you to get back here. Your tumor is, has grown and it's hemorrhaging. I've, you know, I was in the middle of the war. I was hysterical. Um, for whatever reason, my husband realized something was wrong. He came downstairs because I had separated from them um, because of the noise on the boat. And he found me and I told him and I was just, I was, you know, distraught. And we had another 90 minutes on the boat because it was a, you know, it was a boat trip that I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't the passenger on. Mm -hmm. um, so we just waited until it docked and it docks. We rushed to the hospital. My doctor tells me we have to have immediate surgery. If we don't, yeah, she said, if we don't, your optic nerve is being pressed and you're going to go blind. And I said to myself, of all times for me to go to the hospital to get these tests, because my friends were visiting, I was anxious you know for their arrival i was cleaning my house i was doing all these things i considered canceling the appointment and my husband said no no no, we could do it let's go and i said okay so two times dolly two times yeah. like near death literally yeah or, or at least for me it felt like near death because to lose my ability to walk or my ability to see it was just it who 
for me, who cannot believe that that was something else pushing me in that direction to do something because that thing or he or she knew I had to. Sure, sure. That's incredible. And so what happened? They rushed you in, you had emergency surgery? Yes. And thankfully, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm fine. I'm no tumor. I have to get tested every year, but I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate in that Good. sense. Oh, yeah. wow. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Um, what do you think? Like, those are pretty dark moments in life. You know, what, what, what did you have? Like, what helped you through that, the whole recovery of everything? My family. Uh, the biggest, strongest support system I could ever ask for. Uh, my husband, without him, I mean, I didn't even, I, I can't even imagine him not having been there for, for everything. He's endured my health since day one. He knew the issues that I had when he first got with me. He promised to be there and be by my side. And I had so much guilt because I didn't want, you know, I was very young when all of these things started. Um, I didn't want to keep him from being able to persevere, and move forward. We're talking about health illnesses that kept me from functioning. Wow. And, and he knew all the enthusiasm that I had in my heart to, to be something and, and do things and explore and travel and, and be active, but my body couldn't do it. And I didn't want to keep him in the place that I had to be in. And he told me that he, that was his choice. And that, that he would. And that's what he wanted to do. And to this day, I mean, we're going almost two decades in. And yeah. he, he's still enduring my health. And, and yet, I don't know, we've been able to persevere in it and still have like a genuine happiness and love for each other and the ability to, despite all the obstacles, to still be content. And I'm not going to say, you know, we're glad that I'm going through this and we can't do this and this and this. Of course not. I'm, I'm just so appreciative that I found somebody that can give me that because honestly, Dolly, I don't know if I would have survived without that support. Wow, that's beautiful. And I know you guys have been together a really long time, but you've only been married, like, what, five years? <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell us about that? <laughs> you want me to tell you why? <laughs> sure. <laughs> he wanted to be married day one, and I had so many terrible experiences prior in relationships. Um, I haven't had many relationships. I would say about four that were serious. And every single one of them proposed to me. And I said, yes. Thinking that I was doing the right thing, thinking that I was in love and thinking that being married was what you're supposed to do. And this is all, you know, late teens, early 20s. I never had anyone to emulate, a couple that I felt I want to aspire to be them. Um, my parents weren't necessarily a, a great couple to aspire to be either. So I just wanted to find someone and make or create that, that perfect union, you know. 
that others would be inspired by if I chose to have children that my children could benefit from. And so accepting the proposals, and to be honest, I, I really didn't want to, but doing that in my mind, I was thinking that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to achieve that, the unattainable goal, the perfect spouse. Yeah. And of course, you know, all that didn't work out. Um, I left every single one of them, broke the engagements. And when I got with my now husband, it reminded me of those past mistakes. And I said, can we just be in the now? Can we just experience each other the way we are? Let's not have to deal with the traditions, the conformity. Let's just be and accept what is. And he was willing, you know, but I'm not going to say that he didn't keep asking. <laughs> but he really understood where I was coming from. And I guess innately it was, it was a fear that I, that I felt, you know, a fear to make that mistake and everything was going to change. Right. And um, fortunately, when I finally gave in 14 years after we got together, it didn't change. It, it got better. Awesome. I can say that I'm amazed at my reluctance um, to have not gotten married sooner, but maybe that was just what was meant to be. Maybe it's just part of the journey, you know? I mean, the fact that he showed you for 14 years, he accepted you. Okay, and there was no rings involved. I mean, I think I think that would that says you found a perfect spouse. In my I, opinion. <laughs> and although I was reluctant to get married, I didn't choose any kind of traditional thing. I went to Greece, and it was just him and I in Santorini. We got married off the cliffs, and you know, no family, no friends. It wasn't that I didn't want people involved. I just knew that it was just about us. Sure. And it was about taking us to another level of love. That's how I saw them. Not about paper, not about the ring, although he went overboard about the ring, but it wasn't about that. It was, it was just us. And that's what meant the most to me about the marriage that we shared. That's beautiful. And not, not just anywhere, but Santorini, Greece. By the way. That's beautiful. I remember those photos. Breathtaking, beautiful, really nice, really nice love story. I love you guys' story. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, what type of advice do you give like to your students who might be going through some really tough times? You know, there's just people who, who go through all kinds of things. And, you know, we have a mutual friend, uh, Lisa Smith, and she was recently on the podcast and she was talking about how, um, you know, people with trauma, like all they really need is a little bit of acceptance and an ear. And, and the truth is that everybody's going through something, it may not be a traumatic event, you know, but can, can we talk a little bit about that? Like what advice and how do you kind of deal with those situations? That's a great question. I'll be honest, one of the things that I dislike about being a professor is that a lot of students feel like you're unapproachable like you're just this figurehead and they can't really express themselves or open up. Also, the culture of academia, a lot of people advise not to warm up to students. As a matter of fact, I've gotten advice like not even to hug a student, even if they approach you for a hug or to mm -hmm. allow them to confide too far. Once they like kind of pass a, a point where you feel like it might be too much to deal with, you should just take them, take them to a counselor. And I understand, I mean, those are 
those are things that they're, they're doing to protect, I guess, faculty and staff. Well, my personality, and I know you know this, Dolly, we're Libras, we're very warm, we're very open. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't shut that down. It just, it's not in my nature to do so. So sure. when I have a student, and this actually happened recently, um, confide in me about something horrifically traumatic, there's no way that I am going to shut them down. There's no way. So I spent 30 minutes allowing them to literally sob in my arms and profess their, their pain, their agony. You know, she confided in me and said, I have had no one to speak to. I stay in my room. I don't venture out because I'm afraid to deal with people and they're gonna know that something's wrong with me. I'm not a counselor, obviously, but as a human being and as a that can just understand trauma and understand grief and understand pain, all you have to do is listen. Yeah. All you have to do is listen. And that, to me, for her, she had been suffering for almost two years, holding it in, and she let it out for the first time. Wow. And I consoled her as best as I knew how, and I asked her, are you comfortable if I take you, I walk you, and I go with you to the counselor? And you could sit down and speak to somebody that's you know, medically trained, and she actually said yes. And this is a girl that for two years wasn't feeling safe with anyone. And because she just let it out with me, all of a sudden now she was prepared to take that next step and go and get counseling and sure. heal. And for me, that's better than any class activity or, or lesson or lecture I could ever do. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it, all it takes is a listening ear and showing that you care. Exactly, oh. exactly. And I started to all my students. Great. Talk to me about understanding and accepting your true self. Okay. I don't know if listeners will understand what this means, but I'll, I'll try to explain it the best that I can. Being a woman of color, one of the most significant possessions that you have physically is your hair. Yes. And I'm not just speaking of, of black women, I'm speaking of any woman of color that doesn't have any type of traditional hair. Right, Dolly, you can relate? Yes, ma'am, 100%. <laughs> so for a very long time, um, I've been dealing with this issue. When I was six years old, my mother took me to my grandmother and my mother and grandmother are Puerto Rican. I'm mixed, my father is Trinidadian. So my hair texture and it, it just was something they didn't know how to deal with. So, <laughs> we went to the salon and they proceeded to relax my hair. And for those of you who do not know, they put a chemical in my hair in order to remove the curl, the kinkiness, the coarseness. And it was very traumatic. I was burnt. And those times they used lye and I was only six. So my scalp burned. And, um, I proceeded to have relaxers ever since that point in my early life because my mom didn't know how to control my hair. Um, that's what was supposed to be done because that's what's pretty. Your hair is straight, it's silky, it's nice. And all the kinks and all the curls are gone. So when I was in college, I decided to go natural. It was something that was long overdue, but I felt like I was in control again of myself. And I attempted 
I did it for a couple of years and it was just too much. I, I just, I didn't know how to, I, I wasn't taught. So I didn't really understand what to do. And this is before Google, you know, the internet, you can look up videos. YouTube, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I didn't know. So I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. It was just laborious. So I went back to the relaxers and then three years, I would say, yeah, it's been about three years. Um, my husband said, why don't you try it again? I said, you know what? You're right. Let me try it again. And I went through the process of growing out all the relaxer and letting your hair in. It was horrible. But three years later, and this is me. Yeah. And when I look at myself in the mirror. I don't see what people think as the norm. I don't see what people find to be pretty. Like I used to be compared to a lot of women, like uh, I'm thinking a Mariah Carey or Beyonce or things like that. Like as far as the way my hair used to look. Yeah. And now I'm not say anything i go home my family members don't comment um they see an afro and they're just like that's not pretty but i have to be honest with you dolly it has given me the utmost strength to be able to not even have those comments or not to have the looks that i used to get of appreciation and, and oh you're so beautiful and things like that to not have that affect me it doesn't affect me anymore yeah. That's empowerment. <laughs> and this hair of mine is everything. And my husband adores it. And oh. the people that matter adore it. And that's, that's all that. Exactly. That's, all that. that's beautiful. And, you know, I have a personal experience with that as well. Because for many, many years, I was straightening my hair and doing the blow dry. I'm Dominican. So that's like ingrained in our blood. You know, every weekend you go to the hair salon, you get it straightened. And it was about a year and a half ago um, that I had a bad experience. You know, somebody didn't do my hair too well. And um, I just decided no more of this. My hair was fried. It was horrible. And I finally said, I'm going to go natural. And it's been over a year. My hair is long. I have it in a braid now, but it's long. It's natural. It's curly. I love it. I love my crazy curls. My husband loves my crazy curls. My daughter you know, and, and, and I did it for her. I did it for her because she has such beautiful curls. And I said, you know what? If I keep straightening my hair, she's going to look at that message and say, oh, this isn't pretty. So I, now I'm like all about the curls, 100%. So I can totally relate. I'm right there with you. And I appreciate that very much. I love oh, that message. Thank you. And Dolly, I don't have kids, but if I were, that was one of the first things I thought of. I want her to see herself in me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Boy, yeah. You know, boy, boy. Have those yeah, for sure, for sure. One of my daughter, my daughter loves to say one of the things she loves to say is, "We're the same, mommy. We're the same." And I always tell her, "Yes, Zoe, we're the same." <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that's a big, that's a huge lesson, you know, just accepting yourself how you are, you know. Um, I actually just ha recently had an interview with. Um, a beauty and makeup expert and I asked her you know what are some of the beauty tips and she says the first one is self-confidence absolutely self confidence you gotta accept yourself and love yourself how you are and I was like yes I love it yes. <laughs> really really good advice um, so what about embracing love is that kind of what we were talking about earlier with um, yes. yeah yeah and and you definitely found that so amen to that <laughs> And then why is it important to acknowledge and understand a higher power? Um, 
that probably goes along with with what you said. But what what I want to expand on that is, you mentioned that you're not religious, okay? So, um, but you are very spiritual. Can you kind of give us an idea of what what that means for you? Like, how do you connect with a higher power, for instance? You know how a lot of people express that they ask God for things, but they don't get responses or answers, and or they're they may not even believe in God, but they they kind of reach out, but they don't get anything back. I personally, I really genuinely feel like we do get the messages, and maybe I feel that because of my experiences and the ones that I mentioned, in addition to others, but almost like we're pushed, but we don't realize where we're being pushed. And we kind of take it for granted that we weren't given. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, the, the one major example I think that would, would resonate with listeners is my now husband, who was then my boyfriend, I never stayed with him. Um, I, and for whatever reason, I happened to stay overnight. And the next morning, I went to check my email, which I never do did at that point. It was, you know, it was, email wasn't a really big thing back then. So yeah. uh, for whatever reason, early in the morning, I went, I was like, oh, he has a computer here. Let me check. So I checked the computer and it was a message from my ex-boyfriend who I shared um, a few years with. We had a, a pet, a dog. It was his dog initially. So when I left him, the dog stayed. And he was basically telling me that he couldn't take care of the dog anymore. And he had taken her to a shelter. And she was euthanized. Dolly, her, she was going to be euthanized an hour after I read the email. For whatever reason, whatever people want to say, oh, it's just coincidence, I don't agree. I was actually only walking distance away from where she was euthanized. I lived in Queens at the time. My husband now, boyfriend then, lived in the area where she was going to be euthanized. And it was, again, walking distance. Wow. I called, I said I was coming, please don't put her down. And they were like, well, you have to come for an identification process. You know, we can't guarantee anything. I was frantic. I threw on some clothes because it was very early in the morning. I ran over there. They proceed to tell me, well, you have to go through this process. You have to walk through the um the room where they kept all the dogs it was a huge huge room and you have to be able to identify her without any you know um, encouragement so i as soon as i walked in the doors dolly i heard her and she <laughs> all the way on the last aisle and i said she's over there and the girl told me no no no, you have to walk through the whole thing so i'm here going through the whole thing waiting to get to her i get to her finally it was like 10 minutes i swear and she was, I mean, I want to cry just thinking about it. It's one of the best moments of my life. She was just so relieved to see me. Oh, and you saved her. I, it, those are my words exactly. That's what I told the girl. I said, oh, my God, I'm saving her. I was so emotional that I affected the, like, the employee. <laughs> she had to hug me because we were both <laughs> And I'm in her arms. I don't know who this person is. And she was just like, don't worry, don't worry. We, we got this. We got this. <laughs> I, couldn't touch her. I couldn't, you know, they couldn't take her out. Um, 
So I just had to look at her and say, Mama, I'll be back. I love you. Don't worry. I got you. Oh. I had to wait a couple of days because they had to um, neuter her. You know, that's the, the law for the, for the city. And when I went to pick her up, when, she, when they took her out of the room and she saw me, oh. Dolly, I don't have children. The love that I felt from this animal mm-hmm. nuzzled her face in my, in my lap the entire ride home. And she just kept looking up at me. And looking like she knew exactly, and she was, you know, she had just had surgery, so she was very, you know, very much in pain. And she limped into the house and she explored everything, and then she just sat down on the bed that I bought her. And we had her for 15 years after that. She lived years, and she was a blessing. My family, everybody loved her. And I said, What, how can you not admit that that's something else what would what would be the likelihood of that nudge of let me check my emails that i never check yeah, you know? even like, let me spend the night i normally would never have done that yeah but something was like ah you gotta go do this exactly. how do you feel so connected you've had a lot of these types of experiences seriously i know i don't know honey i really don't i i just i thank whoever because i guess i'm listening i don't know maybe you're i'm not open you're open yeah. You know, that's interesting. You know, I, 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 I've oftentimes felt like people are just not in tune. You know, they're just so much in their own heads that they, they're not in tune to like when God is answering their prayer, you know, like maybe that new person at work or whatever, like get out of your own head. <laughs> right. Exactly. And people ask for things and they think that that's what they're supposed to get. We're given gifts the way they're supposed to be given. Oh, yeah. It's not, let me win the Powerball. No. What's that going to do for you, you know? Let me give you Dolly, who's going to bring enlightenment to your life. You know what I mean? That's how I see it. I just don't don't think that just because you're not getting what you're asking for, that there's not someone or something that's really giving you what you're supposed to have. Sure. You know, that reminds me, sorry, of one of my favorite quotes, which is, um, nothing happens to you. It happens for you. It happens for you. Yeah. And just listen, listen, the signs are there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, myself, I personally meditate every single day, um, just to get out of my own head and things and stuff because I have so much going on, but I just, I really do just want to connect. I'm like, okay, you know, time to breathe and understand and just connect with that higher, higher power. I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about living life with no regrets. Talk to me about that. How do you live life with no regrets? This is my mantra. I, when I was, on a study abroad program, I went to Paris and mm. I was always enamored by Parisian culture, French culture in general. Uh, you know, I'm a Bonaparte, so our descendants are related. And I've always just been drawn to, to that, um, that France represents, you know, all the qualities, all the art, the culture. And so I went, I spent a summer and I got introduced to one of their most famous singers, Edith Piaf. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started with LSB. <laughs> As a teenager, you know, I didn't know anything about that. So I heard yeah. music and I just fell in love. I know. And she had you know, one song that's probably one of her most popular, 
um, shouldn't regret young. Oh yeah, no Which, regrets, baby. Exactly, I don't regret anything. And I said, oh my God, what a wonderful thing to say. And I came back, you know, to the States and I just thought, I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. And I realized how much those words can really help you to survive. You know, your past, any kind of grievances, any kind of trauma, any kind of anything. Even just, mm. I woke up late this morning. You know what? I don't regret it. That's like, it. Just, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Right? So I live by that. And being someone that is in chronic pain every single moment of every single day, wow. there's never any relief, Dolly, ever, even in my sleep. <gasps> I even dream pain sometimes. Oh my gosh. Oh, it is. That's how bad the pain is. If I can say I don't regret anything, do you know what power that gives me? Do you know what strength it instills in me? And it enables me to give that to others. You know, when I say I'm an educator, honestly, most of my education is outside of the classroom. Yeah. It's just sharing with other people and just showing them that as dire as you might think things are. There's strength in everything and find it because if you find it, you can persevere. Okay. And I keep going. I keep going. And I'm not going to let this bring, bring me into another mind state. I will always not regret anything. My failed relationships, any kind of mistakes that I've made, any kind of issues, I don't care. I don't regret it. I learned from it and now I'm here. Beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of people have such a hard time moving past mistakes. Um, you heard a song by Eva Fiaf when you were a teenager in France, you know, on a study abroad. But how, I mean, and, and that's amazing, you know, that you were able to get that from, you know, that experience. How do you teach that? How do you instill that in others? It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It really honestly is the most challenging thing I have to do with the people that I love most when I tell them, stop repeating your past because all you're doing is holding on to that pain. Learn from it and just progress. I, I try my best to um, lead by example. You know, as I'm doing on the podcast now, I share my life story. I share my traumas and my grievances and my pain and hardships. And they always seem to connect in the sense that they say, my goodness, you were able to do that. You know, and I'm not seeking accolades or admiration at all. That's not my purpose. My purpose sure. is just for them to know if I could do it, you could do it. So can they, yeah. Exactly. And even, I mean, when I say close relatives, I mean like the closest of the close. I don't want to name names. But <sighs> when I say do you realize that you're stifling yourself and you're not living because you're still harboring these things? Can you imagine if I harbored things, Dolly? What I I don't even know if I could still be here. How could I yeah, how could I carry that and carry what I have to physically endure? Um, and I always try, try to instill positivity. I said, you know, I'm in so much pain right now, but you know what? I'm gonna smile at you. And I'm going to say, I love you. And I'm going to be here with you in this moment. And let's just enjoy, you know. I hope that my example is what really permeates people's minds and really allows them to understand that it is possible. Oh, that's just awesome. I love that. Um, last question, Perez. Why yeah. do you think that we need more compassion in this world? And how do we achieve this? 
oh honey, this, this world is just, <laughs> I'm so reluctant to turn on the news every morning, I swear. It is just, it's just. Because, I don't even watch the news anymore. I know, I know. I have to because I, I'm teaching. You know, I have to be. It's current events and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't blame you. I swear, I, I don't think I would either. Compassion is everything. I, if you can't understand other people, if you can't care for them, and I don't mean, you know, in a visceral way that you, you, know, you have to be hands-on. I just mean if you can't understand other people's ordeals and their, their tribulations, how can you even call yourself a human being? You know what I mean? I just feel as if compassion can cure so many of the issues that this world is facing. And unfortunately, a lot of people are more led by selfish and... Desires, yeah. Uh, you know, just, just greedy behavior that doesn't allow them to even open their hearts to that possibility. And I know we're not talking politics, but now that's pretty much what we're seeing, right, from a lot of political um, things that are going on. Not allowing yourself to understand what it means for somebody to have a certain experience is just shutting out humanity. And that should not be what, what we should aspire to do. It just shouldn't. Sure, sure. And I think that people, like we were saying earlier, they're just so stuck in their own heads and their own lives, their own problems, that they're just not able to see, you know, what's going on around them and how, you know, being more in interconnected is just a better way for all of us. And showing compassion, I think, is definitely that way. Yes. And even with all of the pain I have, I always think of others and I'm always extending myself to others. I will never stop doing that. I think that's what makes me who I am and who I should be as a person. That's a wonderful thing. And that's a beautiful example, Pettis. Thank you so much. Um, this entire conversation has been great. And I really appreciate your transparency and sharing your personal story. I know that many will appreciate hearing what you have to say and from your journey. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much. I adore you, Dolly. <laughs>